Local church, everyone is searching for meaning and happiness. We all long to find fulfillment and purpose in our lives. Well, Peter writes about the identity and purpose that is found in a life centered on Jesus. And he describes it as a life that is both called out and sent in. But called out of what? And sent in where? Well, that's exactly what we'll find out here in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. So let's explore it together. As you come to him, to Jesus, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray. Father, would you drive these truths home? Would you bring them to life by your spirit? Amen. Two things I pray we see here this morning. Number one, a life centered on or stumbling over Jesus. And number two, the called out and sent in people of God. First, a life centered on or stumbling over Jesus. Peter uses a variety of metaphors all rooted in the Old Testament to describe Jesus. The first is that of a living stone, one who is alive from the dead and yet the very foundation of what God is doing and building. That's who Jesus is. And as we come to him, Peter says, to Jesus, as we commune with him, as we experience relationship with him, as we worship and place our trust and reliance on him, here's what we discover, that you yourselves are living stones. You are being built up as a spiritual house. Wait, what? We're living stones? A spiritual house? What's what's going on here? Well, the Old Testament prophets, they anticipated that God would return to Zion or to Jerusalem, and he would dwell there, and in a completed temple, and and how exactly all that would, would happen was up for debate. But along with this expectation was the arrival of a royal son of David, a king in the line of King David, a deliverer, a messiah, the anointed one, a rescuer, who himself would be the cornerstone of this new temple. And so here, Peter is sp- uh, Jesus is spoken of as a living stone, rejected by men, but chosen and precious in God's sight. And he's using this language that's rooted in what the prophets have already been saying. He actually quotes a number of passages of Scripture to communicate that Jesus is actually the fulfillment of what the Old Testament was anticipating. If you remember, Jesus himself even said in John 2, verse 19, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. 
And they were all like freaking out. And, how are you going to destroy this temple? It took over you know, all these years to build it. And how are you going to rebuild it in three days? He wasn't speaking of the actual physical temple in Jerusalem at that time. He was talking about himself. He would raise up. So because Jesus himself is now the place of God's presence, now through Jesus, those who come to him by faith are called living stones. And we're being built up to be something spectacular, the new temple. Jesus is God's, God's, the place of God's presence. He is the one in whom we find rescue and redemption and relationship with the living God. And as we come to him, the living stone, the foundation stone, as we build our lives on him, we find that we are stones as well, being built together, a dwelling place of God the Spirit who lives with us and in us. It's amazing. It's breathtaking. The new temple, what was anticipated in the old as something physical, is not physical in that way. Living stones, a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. Let me show you what Paul says about this in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, as he writes to the church in Ephesus, he's describing a similar thing to them, and he says this in verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, being built, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Let him, or in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so individually, we are the dwelling place of God the Spirit when we place our faith and trust in Jesus, but corporately there's something beautiful and unique happening together as God's people. We are a spiritual house, living stones, built together to be something spectacular, the place of God's presence. And we are a holy priesthood. That's what Peter is saying here. The promised place of God's presence and representatives of God himself. And notice something here. This is for all followers of Jesus. All followers of Jesus are called these things. This isn't for a special group of leaders or pastors only. We're all called to be this holy priesthood, called to reflect God's character. Now, we learned that last Sunday, and we'll we'll talk more about that in a few minutes, but we are all called to reflect God's character. And, And Peter describes this spiritual house and this holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices. Well, what's that about? Jesus made that once and for all sacrifice for our sins on the cross. No additional sacrifices need to be made to accomplish redemption for for, for us. Uh, but, But what is he talking about here with spiritual sacrifices? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, our lives now lived to the glory of God. Our, Our very attitudes, our very actions can be spiritual sacrifices. Think of that. It adds a weightiness to how we live, how we speak, how we act. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul writes to the church in Rome. He says, I appeal to you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Your very bodies become a living sacrifice to God. How you live matters. And then in Hebrews 
Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13. The author of Hebrews writes this in verse 15. Through him, through Jesus then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And so our praise becomes a sacrifice to God. How we live, not neglecting to do good and to share what we have with others becomes a sacrifice to God. How we live matters. Have you ever thrown something out only to discover that you really needed it? I do this all the time. I'm, I'm a bit of a minimalist, and so I, I, I clean house a lot, and it freaks my, my kids out, freaks Valerie out a lot. You know, I'm, just, I'm throwing out boxes. I'm throwing out receipts that I don't need or think I need, only to find out later, oh, I really needed that box, <laughs> or I really needed that receipt. But have you ever thrown something out that you just like, you thought, I don't need this? but you you didn't really consult anyone else. (laughs) Listen, Jesus was thrown out. Jesus was rejected by the religious leaders of his day. If you remember the story, he did not fit their plans. He did not fit their ideas. And Peter, leaning on the Old Testament, he says he was the rejected cornerstone, the very cornerstone of what God was doing and building, and he was rejected. Jesus ended up being the very peace that held it all together, the most important, the most exalted. In verse 6 of 1 Peter chapter 2, he leans on Isaiah 28, 16. Whoever believes in him, in Jesus, will not be put to shame. And then in verses 7 through 8, he says, but for those who do not believe, what happens here? Well, first it's important to acknowledge that for Peter, And for for anyone who's a follower of Jesus, we understand belief or total commitment, total trust and obedience is central to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We don't just give a head nod like, okay, yeah, I agree with this set of beliefs. It, It goes further than that. It's not just a head nod or an acknowledgement. It's trust, it's faith, it's commitment to who Jesus is and what he calls us to. It's resting and falling in him. Jesus is either the foundation stone of your life, is what Peter's saying. He's either the foundation stone, the cornerstone of your life, or he's in your way. And eventually, he's going to trip you up. He's going to cause you to trip sooner or later. So he's either the foundation stone or he's in your way. Is Jesus in the way of you getting what you want? Is Jesus in the way of you getting what you think is best? Are you ignoring him? Are you ignoring his claims? Have you heard it for some time, but you've kept pushing it away? Have you redefined who Jesus is and what he's calling us to? Or maybe you really never understood it to begin with. Or are you using Jesus just to get what you want? All of that is a form of rejection. Some might say, listen, are you saying all of life hangs on how a person responds to Jesus? Are you kidding me? And that's exactly what Peter is saying. And that's what I'm saying. This is so offensive. It is. Especially in our religiously pluralistic culture that we're swimming in. Especially in this relativism that is celebrated in our culture. This whatever is true for you is true for you. Whatever is true for me is true for me. We can all find our own path. 
It's all good. You believe what you want to believe. I'll believe what I believe. Let's not, like, bump into each other and make life difficult for each other. But I'm interested in, in what is true, true truth. I'm interested in who Jesus is. I don't want just any old opinion about him. I want to go to the source. You know, depending on the, the rock quarry, I've learned that access to rocks that are most valuable are sometimes found through controlled explosives. And so after blasting away big portions of rock, the area that begins to form becomes the quarry from which the most valuable stones are found. The message about Jesus comes at us like controlled explosives. And it just blows up our misconceptions, all of us. Every single one of us in this room, that gospel message, the truth about who Jesus is, has come at us like controlled explosives, just blowing up things, misconceptions, lies, traditions, practices, false hopes, and all for our good, to expose the foundation stone, that precious stone that so many have rejected. So first we see this life that is centered on Jesus. And what it leads to is what's next. Number two, the called out and sent in people of God. A life centered on Jesus, a life that is built with Jesus as the the cornerstone, leads to this. A people who are called out and sent in. Followers of Jesus have discovered they have a double identity. They are called out and sent in. Where do they get that? Well, it's right here. Look with me in verse 9 of 1 Peter chapter 2. But you are a chosen race, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies or the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, it's important for you to know where Peter is getting this language. Look with me in Exodus 19. In Exodus 19, verses 3 through 6, Israel has just been delivered out of Egyptian slavery and is standing at the foot of Mount Sinai. And they're given the responsibility to obey God, to walk out the covenant agreement that God is laying out for them. They have this new identity and this new purpose through faith and obedience. I want you to hear Exodus 19. While Moses went up to God, Then the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. You see how important faith is. The priority of faith. Now, therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession. Among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. This is where Peter's getting it. New identity and new purpose given to Israel. They were to walk this out, and they failed miserably. They did. They failed miserably. But Jesus did what Israel failed to do. And this is important for us to see. He is 
faithful Israel. He is the obedient son of God. And now, now, he's the one through whom people of any nation, any ethnicity, can find, by faith, look to him and find themselves as members of this new family, the true Israel of God. It's, it's, really, it's really crazy what Peter's doing here and helping us to see and appreciate and understand. He's weaving titles together, making clear that the New Testament church, made up of both Jews and non-Jews, Jews and Gentiles, the New Testament church is to be understood as the people of God. A holy nation, a royal priesthood, God's own possession. God's unique, treasured possession. It's important that we see what Jesus really accomplished in all of its beauty and glory. We're going to grow in our appreciation for who Jesus is and what he's really accomplished. Jesus is the obedient son. He did what Israel failed to do. And when we, by faith, look to Jesus, we find ourselves in that family. Identity is so important. Do you know who you are? I was talking to Jude, my oldest. Uh, We were driving back from the Vans outlet store. That's a good place to go with a 14-year-old. And we were driving, and we were talking about, we're going through this little um, worksheet that I put together. We're talking about identity. He was reading passages about our identity in Christ. I said, listen, Jude, if, if you weren't confident that you were my son, that you, that you weren't really part of this family, if you questioned that, you wouldn't behave as a son. You wouldn't take on the rights and the privileges of a son. You'd question whether or not I'm really going to provide an, a, a new pair of vans for you or food on the table or if I'm really going to love you like the rest of the family. So how important is it that we understand our identity in Christ Jesus, that our lives are hidden in Christ Jesus, that by faith in Christ we've been brought into a new family. New identity leads to new mission. And that's what we're getting at. This identity should humble us. It should empower us. Understanding who we are involves understanding whose we are. The idea here in verse 9 of 1 Peter 2 is that God has written over us, mine, my treasure, my, my possession. Yeah, I learned recently that uh, Vincent Van Gogh, he didn't sign all of his paintings. He only signed the ones that he really liked. And he would sign it Vincent because so many people mispronounced his name Van Gogh, which I am probably doing right now. But I know we're all familiar with Toy Story and the Woody doll, all right? And, and what happens there? Andy, he writes, he writes his name on the foot of Woody. Oh, and Woody's so proud. Look at that. Andy is claiming Woody as his own. He's, he's his possession. And, and that's the idea here. We belong to God. We are his treasured possession, God purchased us. He accepts us. He welcomes us in. He loves us. He's called us out. Well, what are we called out of? This is important. If we have this double identity that we're called out and sent in, what are we called out of? Well, we are called out of a radical individualism that ruled our hearts. We're called out of a narcissism 
an obsession with self that continues to invite us inward until we're completely distracted by our own agendas and our own lives. He calls us out of that. He calls us out of a life dominated or ruled by sin. He calls us out of hiding and shame. Oh, he covers our shame. He clothes us in his righteousness. He called us out of hopelessness and despair. He called us out of trying to earn our acceptance before him and before others. He called us out of trying harder or doing more and believing that somehow it will outweigh all the wrong we've done. That's not how we're to approach him. That's not how we're to live. But Peter sums it up this way. He's called us out of darkness. Paul will write to the Colossians about what the Father, God the Father accomplished through Christ, that he transferred us, like picking us up over his shoulder, transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son whom he loves. That's what was accomplished for us. We've been brought out of darkness. In, in verse 9, Peter goes on to basically say, listen, you are given this title, or these titles, I should say, these titles that have been weaved together for a reason. There's a whole lot of purpose. There's a whole lot of mission connected to these titles. And, and here's the mission, that you might proclaim the excellencies or the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Proclamation, declaration is what you and I are called to, both with our lives and with our lips. Then in verse 10, Peter alludes to Hosea chapter 2, verse 23, where he talks about once you, and not singular, but plural, kind of like y'all, once y'all, once you, this is, this is not an individualistic call. This is a collective call. And when we do this together, we're obeying the call. Once you were not a people, a people can't be a people on their own, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I mean, what does this do to you? How does this impact you? How does this move you? So Peter's putting before this church that's scattered and persecuted and under all kinds of opposition, saying, do you know who you are? Do you know your identity? Do you know how much you're loved? And do you know how much purpose is wrapped up in that identity? We're called out of darkness. Where are we sent? Well, we see in verse 9 that we are sent into his marvelous light. Well, what's this about? Everyone who has trusted in Jesus has this ongoing access to God. The door has been broken wide open through the sacrifice of Christ. We can boldly approach the throne of grace and find mercy in our time of need. 1 Thessalonians says, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We've been brought into the light, and that light, the light of who God is and his character, it changes us, it shapes us, and it should. Every believer, though, is given this privilege to enter God's presence and to have relationship. That's what this is about. When you come into his marvelous light, you come into relationship with the living God. That's where you're sent, but you're not sent just there. You're also sent into the world. You're, you're sent into the surrounding culture that God has you. He's drawn our boundary lines, okay? We are here in the city of St. Pete for a reason, and so we are called to go back into our culture with this message to declare. What is a, a priest? What does a priest do? Represents God, but also points others to God, brings people to God, and you are called a royal priesthood. 
And so we're called as a church collectively and individually to take people by the hand and show them the beauty and the glory and the splendor of who the one true God is revealed in Christ. You know, I was, uh, I used this co-work space downtown and the fire alarm went off on Saturday, yesterday, because I was just kind of uh, preparing for today and soaking in this devotionally. Fire alarm went off. I couldn't, couldn't think clearly. Had to vacate the building. Went to the uh, coffee shop, Kawa, and met an individual who started just opening up to me and talking to me. And he said, you know what I've learned about Christianity growing up in the church? I've learned how to sit, kneel, and stand. He says, they're good people. They like to eat and they like to sing. And my heart was broken. He didn't have a clear understanding of the reality of what it means. But it was a privilege to be able to talk to him about what Christianity is is in a nutshell. It's a relationship with the one true God who's called us to himself. He's made a way for us to be reconciled through Jesus. And this humbles us. We talked for a while. What a privilege to take people by the hand. Local church, that's what we get to do, and you're doing it. But we get to do that more and more. We get to bring people to the Jesus of the Bible, not the Jesus of your own imagination, not the Jesus of culture, the Jesus of the Bible. And so we get to take them by the hand and point them to the beauty of what God has done in Christ and discover beautiful facets of it ourselves as we do that. I love what Ian said last week. He gave his local story It was so impactful. And he he said this, the way a community really serves and cares for everyone in it with no other reason than they are trying to reflect God's character is crazy to me. This brought me to where I am now and spurred my desire for intentional time in the Bible to be more like him. What brought Ian to a place of being more intentionally pursuing the Lord through scripture? You. You. The community, reflecting God's character. And he said it was crazy to him. It, it, it will be crazy to those who come in and see and, whoa, this isn't just a club. This isn't just a thing you do on a Sunday and then you're out, grab lunch and it's over, moving on, do it again next week. No, your lives are, being, your lives are transformed by, by the love of God in Christ. You want to reflect who he is to a watching world. You're doing it. But you know, church, we have to fight to preserve this double identity that we have, this called out and sent in, called out of darkness, uh, but sent back into our surrounding culture to proclaim the excellencies of the one who called us out of darkness. We have to fight for this double identity. That vision can easily be lost. That vision can be forgotten. The temptation is either to do this, to either withdraw, retreat, and isolate, and separate ourselves, and kind of have a holy huddle, huddle, and it's like, just kind of care for ourselves and kind of do a lot of navel-gazing, and, and, that, and that's it. But we don't want to do that. We don't want to just retreat. But the other temptation is just to blend in and compromise and try to win people over with, like, I don't know, pyrotechnics, not really, or some big gathering or a, a big personality that can, oh, bring them in. No, we have something so much more beautiful than that. We don't want either one. We don't want to retreat and isolate ourselves, and we don't want to compromise and give in to complacency. If, if we're not the set-apart, holy, distinct people of God, then we'll have nothing to say. 
But if we're not deeply involved in the world, entering the pain and the suffering of those around us, then we have no one to say anything to. So we get to be the set-apart people of God sent back into the world on mission to proclaim the beauty of who God is. We have a mission set before us. You know, the church in Peter's day had their time. It's our time now. It's our time. So let's invite the Holy Spirit to empower us to trust and obey Jesus and to reflect his character to a watching world, especially within the relationships that are closest to us, family, coworkers, fellow students, friends, neighbors, that God's holiness, that God's justice, that God's sacrificial love would be seen in our lives. This is part of what it means to start thinking and living as a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people who knows, who they know, we know, we belong to God. We're not our own. We've been purchased out of darkness, brought into light. Do you know who you are? Do you know what you've been invited into? Or have you lost all sense of your identity and purpose in Christ? I want you to find it here. Maybe find it here again, but maybe find it here for the first time. And and I pray that we would have these well-worn paths in our Bibles to these verses. Because this is foundational to who we are. If you go to our Belong Here class, you're going to hear me talk about 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. If you hang out with me for any length of time, you're probably going to hear me talk about being called out and sent in. It's part of the fabric, the culture of who we are. We want to live called out, sent in as a church community. Have you lost your sense of identity and purpose as a follower of Jesus? Find it here again. Let this inspire you. Let it fill you with a renewed courage and, and vision. We need that. We all need that from time to time. There is a divine plan being accomplished here, and it involves you, and there's still more work to do. So if you haven't come to Jesus, if you haven't put your faith and confidence in what he's done for you, that's the starting place. To build your life, to center your life on Jesus, the, the cornerstone, the foundation. Don't reject him. Don't throw him out. If you have come to him, don't reject or don't dismiss his purpose, his call on your life. Identity and purpose is found in a life centered on Jesus. Local Church St. Pete, we are called out and sent in. What a privilege. Let's pray. Father, thank you. What we see here, just spilling off the page, these titles, this identity, it's breathtaking to see what the prophets of old spoke of fulfilled in Jesus. And now that we get to be a part of that, it's such an honor to consider what it means to be your, your people, called out, called out of darkness, and sent back into the world on mission is such a privilege. Would, would you help us, Lord, to grow in our appreciation for what you've done and what you've called us into? Would you help us, Lord, never to move away from this identity we have in Christ? 
and the purpose behind it. 